Hello out there, world. Welcome to episode number 25 of the Modern Educator Podcast. This is your host, Corey Brown, and I am joined with my good buddy, James Kapersky. Hello, James. Hey, hey. How's it going, Mr. Brown? Yes, my, my most common guest on this fantastic show. It's an uh, honor and a privilege to be back for uh, round three. Always a special episode when, when you're a part of this. Some may say even a very special episode. Very. So... Uh, the uh, task that we want to get today is to talk about current issues in the Clark County School District. Of which there are many. Of which there are many. And I want to do everything in my power to stay positive throughout this conversation, to not point the finger of blame, to not enter a spiral of, of doom and sorrow, but to offer solutions, to highlight the good things, to present maybe ways that uh, public education can be improved in the Las Vegas area. Sounds like a plan. Fantastic. And for anybody who doesn't know, uh, James and I are both educators at Desert Oasis High School in the southwest part of uh, Las Vegas. And uh, I think we should start this conversation, James, by talking about what have you noticed in the changes in the student body coming out from the pandemic uh it's kind of seems like all of our kids have spring fever where they're just kind of very antsy um we've had a few issues with fights and weapons on campus um, and i've heard of a lot of issues all over the district um, a lot involving parents even and so that sort of anxious nervous energy is something very different um, for me. Um, over the course of the year, I've noticed uh, that my freshmen don't really know how to operate in the high school setting still. Some of them. Some have figured it out and are rapidly adjusting, but I think these kids were massively set back by not being in person for like a year and a third, uh, and it's definitely showing just in how they interact with each other, how they interact or choose not to interact with their class, their homework, their class activities. Um, it's kind of alarming. Yeah, and I, I think it's understandable that if kids were away from school for, what is this, 15 months or more, that there would be some difficulty adjusting back. But it, it was far worse than I expected. Like, I'm used to teaching high school sophomores, and these are kids who were sort of denied their freshman year. So I've just noticed, like, a severe lowering of my class's maturity. They don't have the writing skills that I normally see, so I've been having to build those up a lot, which is a struggle this year. And, and I, I want to comment on the topic you said, how it's like these kids and their parents are sort of both overreacting and, and causing issues on campuses. And I wonder if it's during the pandemic, kids were stuck at home with their parents and sort of followed their parents' rules and their parents' attitude the whole time. But sometimes the rules of a household are very different than the rules in a school building. And I think that students maybe forgot how to be under the authority of a school and thought that they could just, whatever I did at home can now happen in the classroom. True. I, I also think students don't understand that there's consequences for their action or lack thereof. Like, I have this handful of kids that refuse to participate at all and are failing, you know, five or six out of eight classes and are completely off track for graduation as freshmen. They're starting their high school career completely off track. And I, <clears throat> when I speak to their parents and the parents say, I need to be the parent at school, and I, my, <laughs> my brain screams, no, that's not my job. I need you to be the parent and support and make sure you're checking in with your child and holding them accountable for whether they do the work or not or they're participating or not. Yeah or behaving correctly or not. It's... Isn't the mantra the parent is the child's primary educator? We just sort of offer 
individual yes. support with Ult- our mastery of our subjects. Ultimately, it's on that parent to be involved and invested in their child's life. Yeah. And and the role of us as especially high school educators is weird because the product that we produce or sell or whatever uh, is teaching kids and preparing them to you know pass tests and learn skills and make them just good members of society but these kids they don't have the legal authority to be you know full members of society yet they're on their way and legally we sort of have to answer to their parents we can't really answer to them so it there's always this debate i have in my head where is education pleasing the student is it pleasing the parents is it pleasing our administration? I, I think it's all always a little bit of all three, um, but I, I usually see the, the focus being pushed to one of those three angles. I think ultimately it's pleasing society. You're trying to create functional citizens that can go out and get a job, can hold that job down and not be fired, go off to college, be able to get scholarships, it's all these life skills that are vital for these kids to be successful and be productive members of society. It's our responsibility to make sure we're creating those kind of people. Yeah, but it, as we're bringing it back to our main conversation point here, it's the challenge of achieving this goal has been very difficult this year because... I think there's a standard pace for how the school system operates. Uh, A lot of people compare the school system to a factory. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it sort of is. You know, like when you're 10 or 11 years old, you do the fifth grade thing, and then you move on to the sixth grade thing. And well, we could have a whole sidetrack about how we sort of force kids to advance through the grades. I disagree with that. But generally, that's what's expected. And there are certain milestones and steps that kids are expected to reach and at least in social studies standards the the standards get progressively more complex as a kid goes through their high school career which is totally understandable um but i think that so many kids tuned out during online learning and many students admitted this to me that they would log into their google meets last year turn camera off and then just walk away from the computer or play video games or do something else and we as the teachers had no way of checking and, and copying work uh, and plagiarism was incredibly prevalent in online learning and it was very difficult for us to police that. So yeah, it's, it's how do we bring these kids back into the education fold after the longest summer vacation of their lives. Um, yeah, that, that's the task that we've been battling with all year. And and I, I think the comment that I want to address, too, is I remember when this school year started, we were given a lot of, I don't know if I want to say directives or just kind of advice, that our roles as teachers should be to think about the students' social, emotional well-being. They just went through this traumatic pandemic. We're still wearing masks at school. We need to be just super nice and super outgoing to kids and i i think at the beginning of the year we had policies where uh, we couldn't mark kids tardy we just sort of had to let kids walk in the classroom especially in first and second period that was a huge mistake that was okay yes so why don't you why don't you elaborate on your thoughts here i totally (laughs) agree with you by the way these students had no boundaries and no consequences for a year and a third And then to come back, especially into a brand new environment, a brand new level of schooling to like walk into high school and have no consequences for being tardy. I have students that were tardy 14 out of 20 times or 20 days in a quarter on the last like three quarters in a row. And there was no negative consequence for that. And so these students would just be wandering the hall and causing mischief and tagging different parts of the campus with graffiti, you know, getting into fights, ripping off soap dispensers and bathrooms, yeah. like just really stupid <laughs> decisions on their part. And there was never a consequence. And so it's just been craziness. And we finally now have implemented a tardy policy and we're getting so much like pushback from parents 
and kids. It's just, if we had just established the rules from day one in a supportive way, but said, here are the guidelines, here's how you function in this building, I think it would have had a much better impact. Well, because I, I, I was under the impression, you'll probably agree with this, that when we came back from the pandemic at the beginning of the school year, our attitude towards kids was be super duper nice. Make them want to be at school again. Be positive. Don't enforce. Like, I mean, look, if a kid got in a fight or something, I would obviously enforce policies about that. But we were being very lax at the beginning. And actually, we focused so much of our effort on dress code. I recall that was like the battle that administration chose to fought or to fight. Um, when, I mean, okay, some kids wore some pretty outrageous stuff to school coming back from the pandemic, but other times, like, okay, this girl has ripped jeans. Like, I, I feel I don't like care. dress code is an issue every year, though. Like, this year yeah. was such a anomaly and such a, like, a special case where we had essentially two freshman classes. Mm. Plus, the True. kids that are juniors this year didn't even get a full freshman year. So three-fourths of our campus were essentially kind of new. And so we really needed to say, this is what our school is about. Here are the expectations. I don't remember our kids getting like a discipline explanation. Yeah, because usually freshmen get that when the school year begins. Yeah, so I don't know that the expectations and the rules were ever really spelled out to them. Mm. And so it's just been, it's been very challenging with behave in regards to behavior. Yeah. Hmm. Definitely. And okay, so I don't disagree with any of that, but I want to now bring it into my next talking point here. There has been an incredible staffing shortage all across CCSD and especially at our school. And I mean, you've, you've been at the school for more than a decade, so you can probably comment better than I can. But in the past, we used to have two vice principals that were entirely over discipline that was their whole job and then we had like maybe five campus security monitors who were sort of just people who worked directly for those disciplined vice principals and kept the campus secure and safe but my understanding is now the role of enforcing discipline is kind of spread between multiple of our vice principals so there's no like one-stop shop and I think we have, what, one or two campus security monitors? Is that the case? I'm not entirely sure. I feel like it's probably two. Yeah. Um, and that's it's alarming that I don't know <laughs> what our campus security situation really is. Uh, yes, we, we used to have a pair of deans on campus, essentially like a step down from assistant principal. Okay. And they had centralized authority over everything, behavior everything discipline and now everything's been shuffled to all of our supervisors and so every single administrator is now dealing with behavior and you know i've reported a few students for you know being tardy more than three times and nothing's happened well because my my uh, referrals are just probably lost in a stack and our administrators have so much, so many things to take care of that dealing with this one student who's been tardy four times is not a priority. Yeah, and I, I don't want to point the finger of blame wholly at administration because I think there's just the way they reshuffled behavior organization and also the concept of restorative justice that was implemented at the, the higher district level probably said you can't have deans anymore, that you have sure. to... Uh, resolve behavior issues hopefully in-house and hopefully like dealing with kids directly but okay rather than having deans to you know punish bad kids we should have had three social workers on campus that could implement restorative justice to these bad kids and give them I don't know the one-on-one behavior counseling or the psychological help or what whatever the issue is that's causing these bad behaviors my understanding of restorative justice is that there should have been a professional to assist those kids. But my understanding is we don't really have one. I think the issue is our district isn't willing to pay those people enough to make it competitive with other jobs they could get. 
So, so it's very difficult for us to get a social worker to come work for us when they can get paid more in a different position in a different field. Yeah, so I, I sort of feel like the district higher-up said, okay, we want to get rid of deans, so we're going to do restorative justice instead. Instead of deans, help kids psychologically. But we don't have the people right. to offer that help. So now, like, whenever a discipline problem happens on school, there's this so questionable result of how that discipline is resolved. Yeah, changing focus but not providing a solution or a path to positive change. Yeah, and then I also know that what well, we used to have five camp security monitors, and I, I think that those jobs have been posted and are available this whole year. It's just no one's really applied for them. I mean, it's like a minimum wage job. It's yeah, like, it's, 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 not... the big, it's the big uh, issue with our economy right now is that people don't want to work for the amount they've been getting paid for those for those type of jobs. It's like the, uh, the fast food spots down the street aren't open in the mornings and aren't open late at night because they can't find people to work those hours for that price. People aren't willing to work those jobs anymore for the for that amount. So I think that we're seeing a direct result of that shift in the workforce um, and that we don't have the campus presence, the campus security, those campus monitors that we desperately need. When we're the largest campus in the state, we're only going to get bigger next year, probably be around 4,000 students. It, the problem is only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And we have to take some sort of action to curb the, the negative behaviors, to have some sort of structure and some sort of consequences in place when these negative behaviors are shown. Well, and, and look, I'll, I believe in the concept of restorative justice. Mm -hmm. I just want there to be professionals who will back me up when I follow the procedures. Right. Because yeah, I've I've referred kids up the chain of social emotional issues and written referrals and stuff over the year and yeah, there it's it's challenging to get immediate results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh let, so let's keep commenting about staffing shortage. And I don't think I mean we we do have some stories to share about Desert Oasis, but I know other schools their, their teaching staff is also leaving in droves. Um, uh, I have a friend who works at Escobedo Middle School and told me that that school's just totally off the rails. Um, and it's... Uh, so do you think that a lot of teachers are quitting the job because these compounding problems related to this year? I think... Um... Our school is a special scenario in that we've had some turnover in our administrative team. Um, there's not been as much of a focus on getting our campus back on track in a in the way that I think probably should have happened. Um, I think at some of these other schools, student behavior might be worse or might be just in a different um, scenario. So like. We have issues on campus with students roaming the hall, students being tardy. Maybe at some of these other schools, it's more of other behaviors. Um, and the interaction between students with teachers. I can't imagine what some of these middle school teachers are going through where their students didn't have that final year in elementary school to really like learn how to be a bigger kid and to be like the responsible one on campus. I can't imagine what it was like teaching sixth, sixth and seventh grade this year. Nor do I, nor do I wish that upon um, anyone because it just must have been really, really hard. Because those kids, those formative years and that formative time that they would have had with each other and to learn how to interact with one another and interact with their teacher is just missing. And so I think some of these teachers are leaving the profession because student behavior and student ability is just so drastically off the rails from what it used to be. Yeah. Especially the one-two punch with being fully online last year in our district. It's been rough. 
on some teachers. Well, and I think you and I have actually had this conversation before, but I, I want your perspective on it again. Was on can online education be effective? Let me ask it that way. Uh, depends on what level of student. Okay, and so it's on the student. So I did my master's degree completely online, and I know that you're working online right now on a master's program. Um, I think depending on the subject, it could be effective, but it is 100% on the student yeah. to be accountable. Um, I know that when I went through it, the only person monitoring my progress was me. Um, I was an adult while doing online education, and it, I was only doing one class at a time, thankfully. I can't imagine these kids at our school having gone through like eight online classes at a time, just, and only, only interacting with your teacher for a very, very limited amount of time online and not getting that one-on-one, -on -one, that direct eye contact and like, let me show you on the whiteboard or let, let me fix, help you fix it on your homework, your paper directly. Not having that one-on-one -on -one direct interaction really really difficult in an online setting well and especially what you do when you teach kids guitar in your classroom you physically change their hand position and like make their fingers be in the right spots but in online education you didn't really have that ability you had to just kind of talk a kid right. through it and, and i couldn't sure like immediately retune their instrument i couldn't like show them face to face hand positions I can show it on the webcam but it's just it's different it's so different teaching music virtually and I think for maybe like an AP human geography or world history type subject maybe it's a little easier in that your delivery is more of that lecture style or when you're doing interactive group games you could do that in an online platform and still find some success. And I know that your some of your AP students just absolutely rocked the AP test last year, even yeah. being in the online setting. So um, kudos to you for finding the secret sauce to making your kids successful last year. Well, and uh, but I, uh, all my secret sauce couldn't have changed the the struggles you have with guitar. Like true, and so that's why I'm saying like. It's completely subject dependent and motivation of your kids. You have these amazing AP kids that are, are high flyers on campus. So um, regardless of the scenario that was thrown at them, they were gonna persevere yeah. because they had that motivation inside and they had that motivation coming from their parents and that push to be successful and to challenge themselves. For me, I have you know every type of kid on campus in my guitar classes. And this year I have every type of kid in freshman studies. And reaching those kids that are straight A, right next to the kids that are failing every class, is really hard to juggle. It's so hard to balance your instruction when you have these kids from opposite ends of our learning spectrum. Yeah. And I feel like I do a pretty decent job. I feel like some of our teachers on campus that teach that are in this scenario that I'm in where they are having to teach every type of kid they're kind of sinking fast and you know don't want to teach this anymore because they haven't figured out how to make that balancing act work and they're they're letting the lack of participation or the bad behaviors like draw them down I hope that makes some sense. Yeah, and I, I can relate. When I taught public speaking three years ago, it was to one of those very academically diverse, age diverse, IEP kids. And I had I had everything going on in a classroom of 50 kids. Yeah. And it was, it was untenable. Right, if you don't have someone in there to help you, to help yeah. break it apart, and it's really challenging and t and draining it just really saps your energy and your will to teach like it just makes it very very hard well and my public speaking class was mostly a skills-based class mm -hmm. where i had to like check with every individual student see their tone of speaking and do little quick evaluations so largely it was me bouncing from kid to kid to kid and 
it was it was like playing whack-a-mole in the sense that when I was right in front of a kid, I could keep them focused and their behavior under control. But then I'd look to the other side of the class and some kid would be standing on their desk and I'm just like, what is going on? Um, so, yeah, and I'm, I, I definitely prefer the AP kids because uh, I can do this strategy where I work with kids one-on-one and reliably count on the kids to, to stay focused. Um, but uh, let, let, let me refer back to something earlier here. So it was... We talked about how online learning, especially the parent, has to sort of be involved to be the adult in the room to keep the kid focused and on task. Mm-hmm. And I think we established earlier in the conversation that the parent is the the legal owner, question mark, of the kid, the, the authority over the kid. I shouldn't say owner. That's kind of weird. Um, so it's like, I, I wonder if a student applies to do online learning at NVLA if somehow the parent can be involved in some sort of a contract saying that they will hold their student accountable to achieving success. I mean, that's a wonderful thought. I don't know that our, um, I don't know that our parents would go for that. Why not? Don't they want what's best for their children? Don't, well, if they wanted what was best for their kids, they would be actively involved in their in day-to-day whatever. life right now. Yeah. And we wouldn't be seeing kids that refuse to participate at all and that are failing six classes. Like, just simple parent engagement and checking on your kids' grades, which you can do online. Like, you can pull up their Canvas or their Infinite Campus and see when they logged in, how much time did you spend, let me help you with the assignment. Like, let's work on it together. These things help the kid to be successful and to learn to ask questions. I I, mean, I don't want to put it on parents 100%, but they have to be engaged. Yeah. They have to be involved in their kids' education. Well, and I I was rather shocked because when I was in high school... I was at a charter school in San Diego. There was mandatory parent-teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if the, the parents didn't show up, I think it was once every six months, twice a year, if one of your parents didn't show up, that was, like, one of the reasons you could get removed from the school. Wow. Um, and also, my buddy, who now teaches in Vegas, but used to teach in Maryland, told me that a big difference he noticed was whenever they had back-to-school nights or community events or sports things at his uh i think he was at even at a middle school in maryland it was like 100 percent attendance yeah or very close to that and when i taught at rancho high school in north vegas it was maybe like 20 percent parent mm-hmm. engagement and i assumed that going to this part of town the the southwest that there would be more parent engagement as there is but it's maybe 50 percent maybe even less nowadays well and it's it's not the parents you need to see yeah usually you see the the parents of the high flyer kids Mm -hmm. and so that's like your son's doing great and you know it's like i I really wish i could talk to the parents of these kids who are really struggling and you know then we we do call them on uh infinite campus and stuff and there's no response the other end of the line da, 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 the number you have reached has been disconnected it's like well how do we even yeah when there's when people? there's not updated contact info it's very very challenging to try and help curb behavior and to help like reinforce what needs to happen very challenging yeah yeah i wish there was a i i, I think i even remember maybe this was back when i was still at rancho but they Maybe it was an administrator who was telling me, like, if I can't reach these parents, I'm just going to drop the kid from school entirely. Like, I wonder if we have that power. I don't I don't know if we do. Um, but I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying that. Uh, and, and, okay, so why? Why is parent involvement such a struggle in Las Vegas? <laughs> well, because we're in an entertainment city. Um, our the the parents that we have that make up our student base, um, the families that we draw from, uh, a huge portion of them are in jobs that don't necessarily require like post secondary education, and so there's not necessarily 
an acknowledgement that you need to be super successful in school to be successful in life and to have a career that pays money that you can live on and live comfortably um yeah i mean i don't i don't mean to downplay the people of vegas it just any other state any other location like you were mentioning uh maryland before like parents are much more involved they are highly educated they've they want what's best for their kids i think another issue with our service economy is that some of these parents are working yeah, when they when they would be spending time with their kids and so they're not getting that one-on-one interaction and chance to ask them what they did in school today and like hey let's work on your algebra homework um i think some of these parents wouldn't know where to start if they were going to help with some of this homework um so i this is not all parents yeah. it's just a, a higher percentage here than I think you would find in any other location in the country. Well, and I, I know at least at Rancho, there were plenty of times where I eventually would get a hold of a parent, and the parent would explain to me that they work two or three jobs, and they're trying so hard to support the family, and I, I even had kids that dropped out of school to support the family, so right. I was like, dang. This, um, this exact issue just came up with, I think, a school board member in Carson City. He basically said... Um, essentially what I'm saying in that um, parents have to be involved and this is this is why we have low test scores and he was kind of raked over the coals by certain segments of the media and the populace but I, I tend to agree with him I think um, the kind of community that we've created just in this Vegas and Nevada lifestyle um, does not engender a uh, desire for high academic standards hmm. and for academic success like it just it's it's this cultural thing here in our state and really specifically in vegas as well um that strong academics is not necessary for success hmm. i mean uh, my ap kids and a lot of their parents don't follow that plan of thinking but i have seen kids who've expressed to me that they intend to be a stripper like people in their family and I'm like but it's good money mr brown and i'm like no like you gotta i'm here to make you better academically you know you can't you can't rely on that for a source of income for your entire life yeah Jeez. you can't be a stripper forever i know oh my goodness yeah and and maybe my my thoughts went here so there is this if you asked a random parent in las vegas what do you think about the clark county school district a lot of them would probably say negative things. Yes. And I wonder if all of the media coverage of the failures that have happened at CCSD have sort of created this cycle where parents watch the media coverage, parents have a bad impression of CCSD, parents don't have faith, don't want to get involved with CCSD, therefore students fail in CCSD, create problems in CCSD, which then get reported into the media. It's a vicious cycle, It's yes. a vicious cycle. Yeah, and I I remember uh, who was I having a conversation with the other day? But like, our school has won some state championships uh, this year in in various activities. Those don't get reported on the media. Our it's, robotics team is going to nationals. Yeah, that's like really this awesome. coming week. Okay, so that's what it was, and it's yeah, it's our successes are never spoken of, but our failures are put on front page news yeah well i think also the timing of the issues that our campus has had just being day after day after day um really wore down the morale of the staff the students the parents in our community um i know that you and i were having discussion that our our zone is just way too big for our school yes and in that we're not focused in the neighborhood around the school and we've got students traveling for miles and miles miles. yeah just to come to the school and it's hard to have them have a buy-in on campus i know that with 
the freshmen on campus, the freshman studies teachers, we've been taking the kids around and we've been doing campus beautification, like picking up trash and just taking ownership. And every single freshman is being required to do a service project, whether that's for their family, for their community, for Vegas at large, and just trying to get these kids to understand that they have to make that connection and have to find what they connect with at school in their community. And hopefully this helps to start make more of a positive change in just the morale and demeanor of our students. Yeah. Hmm. All right, and I want to now talk about this concept. So we originally planned at our school that if a student made a big behavior issue or a student wasn't doing their work, that we would remove them from the school and send them online. And I can understand both sides, how that is maybe a effective you know, behavior ramification or academic ramification, but I can also see how it's an ineffective one. What What are your thoughts about removing kids from public school and sending them to online school? Uh, the students that I've had that have been removed and put fully online have not turned in any work. But these are the kids that initially were not participating and not doing that. At least they're not negatively impacting the other kids around them. But are we? I, I think it's kind of a disservice to that child in that they're not going to get anything out of that online scenario. Yeah. As far as I know. It, it, it's definitely the logic of, is online learning a privilege or a punishment? And I think by your earlier conversation with me, it's if a kid doesn't have buy-in online learning, nothing will get done. Mm-hmm. And if a kid doesn't have buy-in in the classroom, they're probably not going to have buy-in. Oh, most online. assuredly not. Although, I will say, in the years when I did Apex, which is seniors doing credit retrieval, that's fully online. When they know that it's their last chance, and this is their only opportunity to try and make up these credits to just graduate, those students had motivation in that sense. Because they knew there was a direct consequence by not doing it you don't do this apex class you are not going to graduate and you will not walk at graduation you will not have a diploma you will not be employable so i think in this scenario though where these kids are just taking classes as a freshman or classes as a sophomore and just being transitioned back to online nothing good is going to happen in this scenario Yeah, and and yeah, I got in a huge debate with students about that, and they said, "Mr. Brown, rather than sending students online, you should give these students extra academic supports and you know behavior issues and counseling and you know some of this restorative justice stuff." I said, but my counter to that is those people just currently don't exist on our campus, and these kids who have these serious behavior disruptions, they are taking away learning from students. Yeah. I mean, in our week where we had two hard lockdowns, it was a Wednesday and then a Thursday, on the Friday, we still had school, but 80% of the student body didn't show up to school that day. Yeah. They, they, it, was, it was the most incredible day of teaching I've ever done in my life, where I show up to work, the majority of the staff shows up to work, we're expecting 3,000 kids, we get 300. And yeah, it, it was like a collective protest. And some students told me that they made the decision not to come to school. Other students said, I really want to go to school, but my parents said no, because they were afraid that our school is too dangerous. And like that was just a huge wake-up call for me. Um, well, and I think that's why we're losing quite a few staff. But... The school isn't bad, James. No, and I've been here since day one. I remember walking through the hallways before the school was open, like as it was being constructed, and having so much pride in it, and 
I still am really proud of our school and I love our staff. My hope is that with our new principal, we can make some really needed changes and just get our kids back on track and help them find worth and value in what they're doing. Because my, my biggest fear is that they just don't feel like anything they do matters. Yes. And in fact, uh, right before spring break in my regular world history class, I recall doing the majority of my lesson and then I said, okay, now it's independent work time, which could also be group work time. Here's a speech by John F. Kennedy. I want you to analyze it and connect it to the concepts of the space race. And I passed out the speech to my students uh, and they were all you know, giving the opportunity to log in and see it online as well. I think in my class of 35 kids, three of them were functionally working on that speech while the other kids were just kind of doing nothing. And I did my role as a teacher and I went around to those 32 students and I'm like, hey kid, get to work. Hey kid, come on, this is a cool speech. Like, let's connect it to Sputnik and Yuri Gagarin and all this space race stuff. And they said, Mr. Brown, it's a formative assignment. It's not worth my time. Because they're aware of the new grade change of policies that formatives are only 10% of the grade while summatives are 90%. So it's, that's just really unfortunate when my students don't feel that my activities and my supplemental resources are important for their learning. Right, because, because the, the value of that portion of the education has been diminished by an ad- administrative edict. They've said that this in-class work or this homework is not valuable because they've assigned this 10% amount to the formatives, which makes the kids not want to do them. And I had this issue first semester where I was we do these daily journals, these like online written responses to to thoughtful questions like what would your best friends say about you write me five sentences or what does it mean to be human and so the students are prompted to write for 10 minutes hit at least five sentences just write 10 just minutes put five your sentences that should be that's easy cake and some of these kids just refuse to do it like at all like they walk in and they sit there for 10 minutes and don't participate and so I finally got to the point where second semester, I have now attached a summative grade where I will call on them. Out of every three classes when we do these journals, they'll present at least once. And so they have to stand up, they introduce themselves, and they read what they wrote to the class. And then we all applaud them for sharing their thoughts. Um, And so I've attached a summative grade to that formative. So there's accountability on that end. Yes, they're still getting that 10% grade for doing the writing, but then they're getting a test grade because they presented it, because they stood up. And and my tests are going to have questions about the space race and questions about why did America go to the moon. And I feel like this is is why a lot of our math staff is bailing ship, because the kids just aren't doing that day-to-day math homework that we all did when we were kids. You know, do the assignment. Like, apply the concept that you learned in class. Go over it with your teacher and see how the math assignment is, how those equations and those formulas are applied. And for a kid to not do that and to expect to be successful on a math test seems really silly to me. Because they have zero practice. That's like going to take your driver's exam, but you never got behind the wheel. It's like, yeah, child, you're going to fail your driver's exam. You're not going to get a license. Well, I'll say one thing that I do agree with in the grade reform stuff is we now are mandated to give kids the opportunity to redo tests and redo assessments. Mm -hmm. Now, I disagree with the logic of that it must be the same test. I've heard different things Mm. from different people. Yeah. Um, But yeah, look, if a student wants another chance to show me they've mastered the material, sure. I'll give you that chance. Why yeah. not? I don't care. You you really want the A in the class? You want to prove to me that you've mastered everything about world history? 
I will give you that opportunity. Why not? I'll give you the A. Um, but it, it does create this sense, this, this far less sense of urgency for students. Like, uh, for example, um, I assigned an essay the week before spring break, and I expected kids would kind of turn it in over spring break. And out of my 60 AP World Kids, I've maybe had 20 students do the essay. That's so. more than I would expect to do over spring break. Well, it was really the week before spring break. I oh, didn't okay. assign it during spring break. Um, but yeah, it's, it's they say, oh, well, I can just show it to Mr. Brown later and show him I got mastery later. And it's... There's such a nonchalant attitude that students have expressed this entire year. Well, deadlines mean nothing. Well, yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> because of no, because of the policies we no put in place. No penalties for late work. Unlimited retests. Formative work doesn't really factor in your grade that much. Behavior consequences aren't enforced. It was, I think it was all of that coming on to students made them think like, oh, school isn't that serious. Yeah, nothing matters. Literally, nothing matters. Me turning stuff in on time doesn't matter me doing the work doesn't matter it's yeah it's it's a really bad like frame of mind that we've yeah. put these students into well and and let me go to one of your earlier points you said that the purpose of education is us to prepare these kids for society mm -hmm. so you know what okay you get the high school diploma you get the job at jack-in-the-box your manager says hey james get on the register and start helping customers and you say i'll do it later or you say like oh well i didn't really pay attention to learning how the register operated but i'll just like kind of figure it out as i go oh my alarm didn't go off and i'm 20 minutes i'm late. 20 minutes late oh uh, oh hey i screwed up this person's order can i just make them more food and and give it to them unlimited food right. unlimited times like that person's eventually going to get fired really like, quickly get fired we're we're teaching these kids bad life skills oh 100% and and that's what i wish i could emphasize to our district leadership well and to the kids themselves i just got an email this morning asking why i was evaluating a student's grammar, poor, poor yes. grammar and lack of spelling knowledge like they refuse to ever capitalize any form of the word i and i just i <laughs> i responded to the student and said i didn't downgrade you for the grammar i need to point it out to you even though i'm not an english teacher i need to give you the life skill of yeah. writing a complete sentence well, with proper punctuation and grammar and this and is capitalization. freshman studies class which is a kind of study skills for high school class which involves proper grammar use yeah 100 percent. and you know applying for jobs and filing your taxes and you know everything you need to be successful from here on and for the student not to grasp that i just i felt like maybe i failed somehow because they don't understand the the value in checking the details and making sure you are 100 percent Correct, because they very easily could have looked at the Google Doc and checked for any place that was underlined, hmm. and they just don't, and they don't, they don't take pride in their work, which is very alarming and upsetting, and disappointing. I mean, some AP kids definitely take pride in their work, and kids have successfully argued for better grades with me, which I'm okay with. I mean, you, thankfully, I'm usually pretty good at giving kids grades they deserve but every once in a while i'll miss something and i'm like oh yeah okay kid you did deserve more points um but uh okay now let's let's try to end positive here mm -hmm. james it's going to be a struggle so what good has maybe come from this year or what what honest lessons have we now learned um i'll i'll start off by saying that I do agree with the concept of giving students even unlimited retakes, but not necessarily of the same 
test or essay or exam, and I actually reserve the right to make it a more challenging exam or a harder essay so that I can, so that if a student were to get a second attempt, it would be, it, it, there would be, I, I don't know if I want to say a penalty associated with it, but it's, you should be given sort of an advantage for performing it to your best ability on time, on schedule. Mm-hmm. On the first go round, yeah. Yeah. But you, I, because in the past, students were like, Mr. Brown, I currently have a C in your class. Is there anything I can do to get an A? And I'd kind of look through it and I'd be like, sorry, kid, like, you can't get there. But if a kid really does believe it and shows me they'll put forth work and effort, like, hell, I'll find a way to give them a path to an A. That's awesome. I I think the biggest takeaway on a positive note for me personally, this has been my best year of teaching. Even despite everything you've and, said and Despite today. everything I've said. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, last year was very disheartening because I had maybe half my kids fail because they just never showed up and never participated. This year, I have retooled how I approach education. So with my guitar kids, I am purely focused on just playing the guitar, having fun, wanting to continue on the instrument. So I took out any extraneous written homework, any extraneous written tests. It's purely focused on playing and I teach all of the theory concepts in context. So everything that we do is focused on playing the guitar and a much higher percentage of my kids are acing the class. A really huge chunk of awesome all-star players are continuing on an intermediate next year. And I'm just very excited for them to continue because they have a tremendous foundation. And it was just for me putting everything online last year, taking that and just adding to it, adding to what was already established. And I know you're in the same boat with all of your content um, that's on Canvas. For me and my guitar class, it, this year has been amazing. Um, with freshman studies, I've been working with another teacher to just create all of the curriculum for this class. And originally I had a semester's worth of stuff and we've now expanded it to a full year. And as the year has progressed, and as we've generated more and more content, my ability to create lessons and to create cohesive units and to have like a scope and a goal set for the whole year has gotten much, much stronger. And it's been cool taking what I learned in my master's program, which was in curriculum and instruction in technology, and actually applying it directly to create content for every single freshman on our campus, which is then going to roll over into next year. And so it's going to be a positive impact on the school climate and culture and morale for years to come. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I've been doing a lot of those same techniques as well, where typically my class would have been me giving a PowerPoint in front of kids and they're all taking notes. We're all moving at the same speed. If a kid needs more time, I have to just kind of hold up the whole class and let the kid look at the slide. But in my AP classes, it's now kids watch the lectures on their own and they're watching it on their laptops, got their headphones in. They need more time on a slide. They hit pause. The other kids keep going forward. Kid has an individual question. I walk over to them, address the question while all the other kids continue to take notes on their own time. And so it's it's a much, it's way better for the AP kids. The, the regular kids can't handle it though. Uh, and I, I, I could get into that, but it'll take a long time. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's a huge advantage to now have digital versions of all my lectures, all my content. And yeah, kids can very easily learn my whole class online. It's, it's remarkable how many trees we've saved this year. Oh my gosh, yeah, so much less printing. You know, um, some people in my department still make a lot of copies, but I don't. I, I try to do everything digitally. The only things I've passed out were um, some envelopes to practice address writing for my freshman studies kids. And then packets from two years ago that I printed up that I never got to give out at the end of the year. And so I'm re- I'm utilizing those now 
with my kids, even though they have them online, all the content, there's something about having a tangible, physical piece of music that you can write on and interact with. Yeah, and if, if kids want to do things tangibly, I'll still allow them to turn it in, I'll grade yeah. it and put it in the grade book, but 99% of my assignments have been turned in online, and it's pretty great because a kid could turn it in digitally at 10 p.m., mm -hmm. and I could get it, and I could grade it like yeah. immediately and update the kid's grade. But in the past, when everything was a piece of paper, kids had to have brought that to school. They might have lost it. I might have lost it in the grading process. So yeah. like it's by having it in this digital cloud space. Where there's a permanent like file attached to their Canvas class. Yeah. Like I that is huge. Yeah, kid you don't have to pass out pass back work anymore. Nope. That was always a whole issue. So yeah, no, I, I approve of kind of the digital learning environment. Um, I mean, we could talk about kids being distracted, though, on their phones and computers. That That's a whole that's, that's other That's a whole other episode. And, and that was a problem before the pandemic. And, I mean, is, is it worse after the pandemic? Yes. Yeah, I think it, it is. Worse but, this year. but the reason why I think it's worse has to do with all these other behavior issues we talked mm -hmm. about. The kids are like, oh, Mr. Brown gave me a formative assignment to do. That assignment doesn't matter. I'm just going to watch TikTok. And I obviously discourage it, and I encourage them to, but they say it's not worth their time. And that just makes me so sad. Very. Very. All right, well, we're getting close to the hour marker here. James, is there anything else you want to comment about, especially in... I Because the year isn't over yet. I just wanted to give sort of a podcast update about the issues of the year, which there have been many. Yeah, I want to say thank you to you, Corey Brown. Um, the way in which I um, got to see you interact with your students last year and the way in which you created online content and delivered it really inspired me to be much more um, engaging through the online platform, especially with my guitar content. And I'm much better now because I'm modeling some of the things that I'm doing after what I saw you do with your students oh, wow. last year. So I think it definitely has made me a stronger educator. Um, it's definitely changed my perspective on the subject that I teach in positive ways. And so thank you for being inspirational in how you deliver content. And I'm very excited for the future. I'm very optimistic that we will get these kids kind of back on track and reinvested in their education. I I know that this year has been really tough for all of my teacher friends out there and it's been challenging for students to get back into the swing of things, but I know that we can push through and we will persevere. Wow, that's very inspirational, James just like you Mr. Brown. Wow, oh, you're you're too kind. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I've been noticing how you put so much effort into especially your freshman studies curriculum and you're really trying to find a way to engage these kids when it's probably the hardest group to engage maybe ever because they're still functionally like sixth graders and now they're in high school. Um so yeah, it's great that you're coming up with uh just all kinds of things of what when people leave high school they're like oh i never was told how to balance a checkbook or i was never told about taxes and now you're teaching all that stuff mm -hmm. which is like ah you know now you know um like we we got to teach kids how to calculate how much a car would cost what would your car payments be based on the in the interest rate you received and the terms of the loan like all these things i was never taught yeah growing up and i'm like i wish someone would have taught me these things and I really hope that these freshmen coming through this year at least take, you know, one or two things and just always hold on to them and be like, okay, yeah, I feel capable. Yeah. Credit in this cards scenario. will rip me off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Compound interest. Um, yeah, man. And like I don't know, I've I've had some really good kids this year and this this is not that I don't think this has been my hardest year of my experience as a teacher. Um, and yeah, some things are easier, but the, uh, 
the bigger issues surrounding sort of student behavior and community outrage have been very discouraging of late in our profession. But I hope that we can get a handle on this stuff and maybe one day be admired and respected in the community. Knock on wood again. Knock on wood again. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any questions or would like to be a guest on the podcast, please send me an email at vegasmoderneducator at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.